As you can see, we're doing something a little bit different. Um, if you're new with our church, uh, my name is Chris Payne. I'm the lead pastor here, and these are our elders and our associate pastor over here, and we'll introduce ourselves in a second. Uh, but we've been in a series called I Want to Believe But, and we've been answering questions and um, dealing really from a, for me, from a sermon point of view. But we like to, when we do these kind of series, we like to end a long series with a panel and give you an opportunity. You can text your questions uh, even live right now, and Randy will go through that a little bit. But some of you have been texting throughout the week, giving us questions to talk about because we want to do our best to answer your questions. Not that we are omniscient, that we know everything, um, but that we can maybe try to help and have a dialogue and a conversation. And uh, so we're excited about doing that. But before we get into that, and uh, Randy's going to moderate a little bit, before I hand it over to Randy to do that, I wanted to um, take a moment uh, just to. Uh, bring about and have an opportunity for prayer for uh, Santa Fe High School, which had the 10 people that died from the shooting. And uh, it, was, it was crazy. Friday morning, um, I dropped my kids off at school. They go to Rodeo Palms Junior High, which is, you know, just, I mean, just a f- few miles um, from there. And uh, I, I just, no lie, just that morning, and I try to tell my kids this a lot, of course, but that morning specifically, I said, guys, y'all, you know, be... If you find somebody at lunch that you don't know, don't just sit with all your friends. Find somebody, if they're sitting by themselves, go love on them. And don't do it out of fear, do it out of love. And just find, find somebody you can connect with, um, uh, and especially those that are lonely and outcast, because you never know uh, what your um, presence and your opportunity to try to be a friend uh, to them will do. And we were just talking about that. And then, I mean, no sooner did I get home, my son's texting me saying, Hey, we're on lockdown at our school. There was a shooting. So then I'm jumping on the news, I'm sure, like many of you, and seeing what was going on. And I, I didn't want to just go forward. I wanted to, as a church, take an opportunity to uh, pray this morning for those families. Um, and, of course, the school, the faculty, the teachers that are dealing with this. And, uh, and look for a way, if you know, um, that we can either help. But, of course, uh, and I wouldn't say only, I say especially get an opportunity to pray. So will you, will you pray with me as we lift up the situation? Father, we know, Lord, that you are good. Lord, we sang it earlier, you are good. Lord, and yet we see evil. And we, we experience evil happening to us. God, and we also know that you have given us Lord, the ability to share your goodness and your light to a fallen world. And I pray, first of all, God, that you will bring great comfort to the families and the faculty and the teachers, the administration, the students. God, that your spirit will comfort them. Lord, and I pray just for an awakening in all of our hearts. God, to return to you, to come to you, God. Father, we thank you that you eradicated evil from the inside out. Lord, and that's the message that we have. Father, and I pray that you give us the courage and the strength to do our part as we pray and ask you to move on behalf of everyone involved in this tragedy, Lord. Let us not just move on, Father, but let us, Lord, move up and help be a part of the problem. They are part of the solution. Lord, we thank you, God, that you are good, that light is greater than darkness, and we trust you, and we look to you to give us wisdom, comfort, Lord, and power to help change a culture and change hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. Well, good morning. Glad you're all here with us. My name is uh, Randy Willis. I'm the associate pastor here at our church, and uh, I get the privilege of getting to start it off. So um, before I do, I do want to be probably the first and probably the only person to wish you a a happy Shavuot. So uh, today, uh, about 4,000 years ago, um, God sent the Ten Commandments, uh, which is really called the Ten Words, down, and the law became. And then also 2,000 years ago on this day is when the Holy Spirit came down after Jesus ascended back to heaven on this day. So happy Shavuot to you Christians who, so hopefully the Holy Spirit will fall again today. Amen, gentlemen? Uh, We're going for it. So anyway, there you go. Um, so yeah, we get started. So you'll see here um, our way of doing this. So if, as we're talking, I have a few questions. We, ha- we asked this last week. People will be sending us in questions um, that they have. And they have this week been sending us a few questions. So we're going to get started with some of those. As we give you our uh, humble answers, 
um, ask you to interact with us. Okay, I got my iPad here, my whole setup. And so as you interact, these things will come in uh, anonymously and I'll get questions. So you just text um, CLCQ to that number, just that. And then you'll get a subscription, uh, a confirmation text. Once you get a confirmation text, you can send all kinds of questions and go for it. So please interact. It's, it's way better to interact with who's here and we want to try to answer some of the questions that were submitted. Um, but we want to also interact with you. So if we say something you like, you can always encourage. Uh, if we say something that maybe you want more clarification on, then you can push back. Um, please feel free to do that. So I want to get started. Just make sure all these uh, gentlemen get a chance to introduce themselves. So we'll start with our elder statesman and, uh, and go this way and that way. So introduce yourself, please. Scott Fidler and profession. Whatever you guess. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. what we're doing. Okay. Scott Fidler, trial lawyer. Uh, J. Ross, architect. The Chris Pate, okay. pastor. <laughs> G. Yoon, small business owner. Eric Stevens, uh, engineer. Engineer. Okay. So you see a lot of that, our personalities. Hopefully rocket engineer. Rocket. Yes. Engineer. Astronaut. Yes. All the day. Astronaut. Wow. Okay. Let's move quickly. Um, so we have kind of. I kind of get started up here a little bit. A few questions. Uh, I lost this one. Let me grab it real quick. This one is specifically addressed to you, Pastor Chris. All right. Um, from here, some things. Okay. So, uh, by we, if you, I don't know if Chris said it or if I said it, but this is the last Sunday of a series we've been doing for the past, I don't know how long, a few weeks, months maybe. Uh, I really do pay attention, I promise. Um, and with the series is called I Want to Believe, but... Um, different objections. So, so Pastor Chris has been dealing with some of the main objections, rational objections, emotional objections to Christianity and dealing with that. So today this is where we're going. So this person said, uh, hello, Pastor Chris. In one of the sermons you mentioned that there are some things that Jesus can't or won't do. You gave an example of a married bachelor. Right? You can't be married and a bachelor at the same time. What's going to happen? My question is, is that if he created a pregnant virgin, um, can, he, can he still create a married bachelor? Are there really things that Jesus and God simply just can't do? Yeah, the, the idea of to say, the, the idea is you're, when you're dealing with the term omnipotence, um, you'll get questions, people come in and say, well, can God, if you ever heard this question before, I have, um, can God make a rock so heavy he couldn't lift it, right? And then if you say, well, no, well, then he's not all powerful. Well, the question you have to get down, what do you mean by omnipotent? What do you mean by all-powerful? And specifically what we mean when we say there's certain things God can't do is we're appealing to who he is, his very personality, his very substance, his character, and he won't contradict himself. So, for instance, the Bible says God cannot lie. So there are things he can't do, but that doesn't mean he's not omnipotent because we're dealing with power, not just a, a specific thing that he can or can't do. So when we say things like God can't make a married bachelor because it's contradictory statements, that's what we're saying. But can he infuse a virgin with a seed in order to create Jesus? Well, absolutely. That's not necessarily a contradictory word or statement use. Um, but we're, we're really hitting that in an apologetic sort of way to say, what do we mean by omnipotence? And so, uh, you know, God, God, can God beat himself up in an arm wrestling match? Well, okay, this is getting silly, right? What, what are we talking about exactly? His power, we're not looking at nonsensical questions. Ultimately, we're looking at his character and what he's able to do. But he would limit himself in his form of logic in saying, God's not can't create a square circle, for instance. But if I came up right now and said, "Gabby, come here," and I said, "Here, here's here's some some things I want you to create a square circle," and she could try, but she can't do it. But then I said, "Okay, Robert, you're stronger than her. You're more powerful than her. You come make a square circle." Well, you can't. It's a nonsensical, contradictory statement. That's what we mean by God can't do something. He can do anything, but He's not going to contradict His character, His will. Um, or those specific things that he has created as logical. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think also in, in, in any question that we ask, I, I think when, we, when we're asking things, I'm sorry, when we're asking things about God, I, I think the thing to remember is God is very purposeful. He just doesn't do things to do them. Uh, he had a plan before we were ever here uh, to redeem us back to him. So, I think those are the things that you want to think about when you pose questions. What's the purpose? Does it, does it contradict God's character and his plan? That's, that's really the, the question that I would ask back. 
And this is why I like serving on a panel with charismatics is because I know you just heard the Lord because I actually just texted that question to Randy. Can God make a rock so big he can't lift it? And he deleted it. I did. Yes. He, he also texted me, because uh, it's anonymous, I don't know who it is. He also texted me, how can someone have the audacity to wear yellow pants? Um, um, they're not yellow, they're cream. A little cream, yeah. I mean, I think it's a certain confidence, not audacity, personally. But let's move on to more serious things, please, uh, Jesus. Um, so this of, is of course, any of these things, if you, you're welcome to challenge through text, as he said, but also after service, we're, we're gonna be, we'll stick around, and we'd love to dialogue. We don't want to, this isn't like drop the mic time, because um, there's, there's a lot of things we're going to say today that there's specific questions that you have to give someone a generality because you don't know the specific instance or example or context that you're coming from with the question. So um, they might not fully suffice for you, but we'd love to continue to talk. And, and let me say this. Two, there are six human beings up here that are uniquely and specifically not perfect and don't know everything. So let me just start with that disclaimer before we start giving our opinions on a lot of things. We have a, their opinions and their really strong beliefs on some things, their convictions that are very serious to us. So please be humble in your listening as we try to be humble in our speaking as well and realize that, that nobody up here has it all figured out. We're, we're doing our very best just to at least start a conversation. And that's the best thing I think we could all do is to learn how to disagree civilly and have civil conversations um, and not point fingers or be mean. So as we try to do that, help us out and cover us if we don't and, and we'll do the same for you. But I love you guys, y'all are blowing me up and this is fun. This is gonna be way more fun than, than I thought, so great. So here's a question I really like a whole lot. So um, the question says, Catholic, Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, etc. why, period? <laughs> um, if Christians can't even agree with one another, why should we even believe in any God that they all seem to kind of represent? <laughs> so the division of the body of Christ, why should we believe in Christ? If that makes any sense, it should. The pastor can't answer this one first because he did the last one first. Yeah. So. Give us a second to think. Let, okay, me, let, me, let me get it started. Maybe. <sighs> um, first, of all, first of all, I would say I can see how those divisions can make it seem like we're all on different pages and, oh, my gosh, there's no unity. And yet I think there's also another side of the coin that because there is truth, that there, not that there's multiple types of truth, but truth in and of itself also plays out in different ways with different types of people, with different types of personality. So I, I think it actually does give more validity because there's something that we say is right, and yet we use it in a bunch of different ways in order to promote truth ultimately. So I have great Baptist friends and great Methodist friends, and we come together, we pray, and we major on the majors and not on the minors, but there's always going to be some sort of division when you have people and personalities and trying to bring things before the gospel. And so there, there's two ways to look at it, first of all, in a form of, okay, I could see a sense of unity, even though we're honoring each other's diverse thoughts or way, just like you and your wife might be on the same page, and yet you do things a little bit differently, right? And so the, a lot of the doctrine that you see, especially in these different religions, are the same. It's just the little things um, that are, I, I like to say, so we say this in membership, um, we, we, we're going to die on the hill of Jesus is the way to God, that uh, Mary, uh, Mary was, was a virgin, is a miraculous birth. I mean, we're going to die on the hills of certain doctrines, but I'm only going to suffer paper cuts for others. And it's the paper cuts that cause some of the different ways that we do things. And it's not even for us just to say, we're right and you're wrong. Uh, another way I like to look at it is there was 12 tribes of Israel. And yet when it was time to battle, they came together, but they had their tribes. And it's not necessarily a wrong thing because they were still Israel. Does that make sense? So it's not a perfect example, and we could get to uh, it, it, little things about it. There are negative things as well. But let me, the prime of the pump, you guys go. Still nothing. <laughs> we can move on. Well, I mean, you know, if you don't care about denominations in church and our people, I get it. We, don't, we can move on. <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll respond. That's a joke. Wow. That's a joke. Yeah. <laughs> Relax. Um, so I think what matters is what we agree on, right? So all Christians, the very definition of being a Christian is that you believe that Jesus took on the form of man, died for our sins, and was raised from the dead, um, that he was born of a virgin. I mean, there are, there are certain doctrines that all Christians agree upon. It's the very definition. It's what defines who we are. Um, but the fact that there are differences, all that proves is that we're human, 
right? I mean, if we all believed exactly the same on every nuance of, of every particular doctrine, we'd just be robots. It doesn't mean that there's not truth and that some are right or some are wrong, but like Chris said, what matters is that we're unified on the things that matter and that we have love for one another in things that are not essentials. Okay. <clears throat> I also think it's important to note that if it, whether I'm a Methodist, Episcopalian, Catholic, whatever, and, and we do agree on the same things, there are some things that each one of those denominations hold to historically that don't honor God. And we can't, we can't just give a blanket statement and say that's all good. You can go to your corner and you can do that. I think that's, for me, that's the real question. Am I following Christ? Am I being Christ-like? I don't care what I call myself. If I'm not doing that, then hmm, maybe I'm lying to myself. Maybe I'm not his. So that's, that's the essence of the, the, my answer. Let me, there's a, there's a follow-up question, just a, lot, a couple of you actually for this one topic. Let me, this might be more for Chris. I'm curious how he would answer this. Um, speaking of differences in belief, um, I hear the, the, what they're trying to say here. What percentage of theology do you feel strongly that CLC is right about? Like, what percentage are those absolute, like, die on the hill for? 100. 100. No. Uh, yeah, if I didn't think it was 100, what are, what are we doing? So, obviously, there's an element that we think we are correct, but it's the same thing with the term, like we talked about a few weeks ago, about tolerance. Christians are to be tolerant in the sense of even if you're correct, you're going to listen where you think you're correct, you're still listening, and you're giving people an opportunity to give their reason. But I, I feel strongly. Now, do we, do, do we live it out perfectly? No, that's what we're trying to do. But what we believe about Scripture, do we believe that's the 100% right way? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm intolerant about things that lead people away from Jesus, things that have to do with salvation. Andy could tell you a story about this from last week when we walked past some people who were pushing a cult down by the courthouse. Um, but I'm intolerant about things like that. Things that don't have anything to do with salvation, then we, you know, we, we show love and liberty, hopefully. Yeah. Okay. So this is a question we tackled um, that somebody sent in this week. Um, so I want to honor, honor that question that was sent in. Is it possible, and if so or if not, explain, is it possible that um, evolution and the creation story in Genesis can coexist? Reluctantly responded for service. I think I, they're just passing me the mic on this one. Um, short answer is no. Um, for a variety of reasons, um, is in, in one condition, which is incompatible. Um, the origin of species, the evolution, um, there are too many flaws, in a sense, um, that contradicts what the scripture actually states. Um, when you go to Genesis chapter 1, it begins by, in the beginning, God. Origin of species doesn't begin with God in the picture. It starts with evolution as uh, formation of beings uh, by chances and the randomness, things became being. So good example will be, did we come from apes? Did we gradually went from monkey to who we are now? Uh, if you go with Genesis chapter 1, you, you will see clear that no, God has created us in his image. But the evolution says, no, we randomly, by chance, we can also add the survival of the fittest, that we actually made it because random chances and all these different things that happened for millions of years, we became this being. So it's not compatible uh, with Genesis chapter 1 and 2 with the theory, uh, which is scientific theory at best, uh, also, it's an assumption. You have to also consider that the, 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 the origin of species was not a fact, even though the, the, the education today see the, um, the evolution as a fact. It's a theory. Um, at the, uh, uh, there are enough of objection, both secular and the Christians, uh, that sees that there are too many flaws and we cannot, the, the, the evolution cannot be trusted. 
Well, I'm, I'm not even sure Darwin would still be a Darwinist if he was alive today. Um, because one of the things he said was that if he expected that there would be found soon fossils of transitional animals, animals that had evolved from one species to another, and it hasn't been. Um, also, evolution relies upon mutations as a form of advancing a species, and everything we know about mutations is that they're almost universally negative. So there, there are problems, it's just a theory. Um, and so I, don't, I think the question kind of assumes a false assumption is that they have to be reconciled. I don't personally have enough faith to believe in evolution. Not that they are reconciled, but can they? Is there any, let me just ask it this way, is there any realm, any space in Christianity, maybe if not your personal conviction, any realm of Christianity where that is reconciled? Or do you there, think there are Christian? Christians that are evolution or believe that God could use evolution to to work out everything, and it doesn't discredit God. the The question, though, does come with Darwinian evolution versus micro macro evolution, adaptation and environment. You see some of these different elements that, of course, you see adaptation happening, but evolving from one species to a complete. No, we're not seeing those kind of things. So there's, there are tracks of it, and it depends on which track you hold to. But I think what, and you said it first service as well, like Darwinian specific origin of species, um, there's not a lot of compatibility because it's trying to explain away through natural selection that this is how everything started versus God said, this is God first, right? So, but as far as evolution as a whole, as a broad spectrum, there are some believers that believe that, and it doesn't affect their faith necessarily because they still believe God created and he used evolution to get us on track to where we are, so. Well, I think something that, for me at least, and I'm, uh, I'm not some deep theologian uh, in any degree, but I think most theological people are not in a lab, uh, they're not evolutionary biologists either. Um, and so there's a lot of faith and trust that, that like, people like, that I have, just like, okay, well, I don't know because I'm not, I haven't gone to school for this. I haven't studied it for years and years. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't read papers on my, you know, spare time about all different modern and up-to-date up things. And if you have any great ones, I'd love to see them because I like to learn, but I just don't know. But I think what I do have some level of confidence about is the Bible, and specifically Genesis 1 and 2. And I, and I strongly believe, and I could be wrong, um, but I strongly believe that Genesis 1 and 2 is a story not about how our universe came into being and how all the different species came into being, but about who started it. And that was God. And that's the point. And I don't think science and evolution has disproven that. I don't think the Big Bang Theory disproves that. Um, I think, and again, there's arguments on the sides, but I think the point of the Bible, as I understand it, is it's a story um, that God is revealing to man about how he started this whole thing called life. And it's not how specifically he did it, but that he did it. And that's in Genesis 1 in Hebrew is literally poetic language. Okay, now you read 1 Samuel, story of David and Goliath. Okay, that is not poetic literature. That is a narrative. That is a historical narrative. You can read that as historical fact. Jesus dying, raising on the dead, historical fact. Genesis 1, like, like a song, is poem. It's poetic. Okay, so like if I, I use this in first service, if I say Chevy's trucks are like a rock, you're all smart enough to know I don't think there are trucks that literally are rocks with wheels rolling around our streets. You realize that. So if you're taking your scientific mind and trying to find scientific answers with a theological relational story in Genesis, you're, you're never going to make those two things compatible. Okay? That just doesn't work that way. Our book is not scientific. Okay? And, so, and we, none of us up here, know enough science to, you know, to get into all the nitty-gritty detail. But I think science should be humble about its, uh, its limitations of knowledge. And I think pastors and elders should be humble about its limitations of their knowledge of God and the Bible. And we don't know everything. And what I know now is vastly different than what I knew 20 years ago. And what science knows now is vastly different than what I knew 2,000 years ago. And so we can all maybe approach this with a little humility, I think, and, and have a conversation and continue to go. But I think I am, if I'm against anything, it's this pride and this bravado of I'm right, my way is right. And anybody who disagrees with any iota of what I say is an idiot and a moron and a bigot. Um, I think that's not right or helpful for any person themselves or culture, personally. Yeah, I quoted it first surface because Galileo, great scientist, um, quoted saying this, the Bible teaches us how to go to heaven or how to know God, um, not how the heavens go. And so you don't approach the Bible looking for science necessarily, but science can help you approach the Bible, I think, in a, in a beautiful, in an awe-struck uh, way, I think. Yeah. 
Okay, let's move on. Uh, again, please interact with me for time's sake. We're going to move forward. This is a really good question. So whoever um, said this one, I really like it. Good job. This is a very different one I think we've had. Okay, I want to believe, but I can't help but see the depths of my own depravity. And at time, um, I give so much weight to it that it's difficult to believe that I can be righteous or that God would truly forgive me. How do I move past that? So they're saying, I want to believe, but I am an obstacle. Not my thoughts, but my own sense of in, in epness, my own sense of depravity and sinful nature and ugliness and disgusting uh, inside, not outside. Inside ugliness is so depraved and low. How can I believe in a God that would do that? I struggle with that. Help me out. I, I know for me, <clears throat> the one thing that really, just I guess in the last 10 years, really solidified uh, my faith. And I've, I've been walking with the Lord since I was 13. It was the realization, the final realization that it's not about what I do or what I've done. It's about what, what Christ has done already. Like, I'm not good enough. There's no amount of cleaning I can do over my life. There's no amount of anything I can do to earn what he has for me. He simply gave it to me. He did it for me. And when I realize that, it changes my whole perspective. doesn't matter if I was Hitler, if I was, you know, if I did atrocities, no matter if I left my, my wife, whatever I did, God has already done it for me. He's already way, made a way back to him. So I think that's the piece you got to rest on. I think that's the piece you got to focus on. No matter of cleanup you can do, you cannot be holy enough to come to God. Can't do it. You're wasting time. He's already done it. I think the attitude um, or the sense of feeling that you are deprived is a good starting point. I don't think it's actually bad. Uh, the reason why I say that is you can be all righteous, self-righteous in front of God and just completely miss God. And, and you, we see that in, in, in the gospel where you see a Pharisee come to the temple and say, I have prayed seven times a day and, and I have done all this sacrifice for you. And there is a tax collector outside the camp, not even going inside, beating his chest, Lord, sinner. And I think that's the starting point for all of us in a sense how we come to God in that moment. And what cross does, see, all of us in this room are here because the effect of a cross, the, 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 the power of the cross in a sense. So at, at a certain point, all of us has to go to the cross. And that cross is just not a one-time deal. We have to take up ourselves daily, the cross, and we have to go and see our wonderful Savior who died. But we, the story doesn't end there, but we go. And why? Because Jesus has risen and the resurrected. And so that's the message that we go. Yes, we die to ourselves so that he may live in us, per se. Yeah, again, we could probably all leave right now and live this other rest of our life if we all heard what you just said. Like, I don't think personally, and I'm pretty dogmatic about it, you can't even start having a relationship with God if you're not at that point of this text. Like, you can't start. So if you've never seen the depths of your depravity, you've probably also never seen the vastness of God's goodness either. And so I think it's, I mean, we could just stop right there and move on. But so whoever wrote that great question, please, everybody, please hear those words, okay? We'll move on. Um, this will be interesting. Um, I don't know how to phrase some of this, but here's what they're kind of saying. Um, how universal is Christianity if it's non-compatible or incompatible with non-Western Western cultures? Um, so there's an assumption there a little bit, but how universal is Christianity? It seems to be contrary to Eastern cultures. So universality of Christianity. I'm trying to understand your question. Okay, I'll read exactly how they wrote it then, and, and maybe y'all can see this better than I can. Okay, so we say that Jesus is the only way to God. Only way. So exclusive. But the concept of a single, single savior is very incompatible with a more group-oriented Asian culture like in Japan. So how universal is Christianity if it's, not, uh, if it's incompatible with non-Western cultures? Okay. Does that make sense? Especially well, Jesus wasn't Western. He wasn't. <laughs> you know, so. yeah, I was, I was going to kind of say the same thing. So Christianity, in a sense, is birthed out of Judaism. It's not singular to itself. So the entire Christian religion movement, whatever you want to call it, is birthed out of Judaism. So it's birthed out of Judaism. That's in Israel. So it's not necessarily, in a sense, Western 
uh, in, in its core or its foundation. So the concept of a singular God uh, being able to save all of humanity isn't exclusive to Western culture. Actually, it's not exclusive to Western culture at all. It's, it's Judaism at its core. One of the fascinating things you can see in the Bible, though, is you've got, you've got a Middle Easterner, Saul, who becomes Paul, who then has to take and contextualize that to the Greeks, which is Western. So I'm sure that wasn't by accident. I think what's easy to do in the West with Christianity is think nationalism is Christianity, and it's not the same. In fact, Christianity is very anti-West. A lot of our values and what we do, not all, but some of them, specifically the reasons why, the motive behind it. And so uh, what's, what's interesting about that, to, to make a statement, for instance, like you're not seeing it in the East. Well, that's not true. The, the fast, in, in the next 15 to 20 years, the, the most Christians on this earth, the geographical center of Christianity will be China, if it's not already now. And that's the, that's the amazing thing about Christianity is almost every other religion, you know where the center is and where it sprouts out. Christianity has moved throughout culture because it is its own culture and creates a new culture, I think, I, I would say ultimately of truth to bring a real sense of family, community, and a relationship with God and one another. So. Yeah. Uh, add on to that is the, the whole notion of the tribal religion, which is the Judaism, if you want to say it that way. Um, but definitely the Christianity has changed pretty much the course of history. We know the gospel went throughout all the earth because that's the little command that Jesus has given us, go make disciples of all nations. So it's not limited to just Western mind or Western culture, Western culture but it's open to all nations. And that's exactly the evidence is very clear. The, the disciples literally took it to heart and went over to all the nations. And that's exactly what they did. So uh, I would not limit the Christianity to Western religion, per se, because obviously I think everybody pretty much covered that it's not Western religion. You're, you're proof of that, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm from Korea. So. <laughs> he, and he, he was Buddhist, moved here. I was Buddhist. Yeah, and converted to Christianity. Yeah, I think at Chris' point, Chris, uh, well, let's move on. Good point. Okay, so here's one that was, that was texted in earlier, too, that I think is a fantastic question. I want to believe, but I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to church, but uh, <laughs> I get paid. I, I have to be here. So, I, uh, I, I, so, wow. so, so I, I'm firing people this week. So, 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 so I, I, I'm trying to get some clarity here. I mean, what what do we mean when we say church to the building or with yeah, the I think organized people? religion? Or, I want to oh, believe in God, religion. but organized religion, okay. church, like, can I just go? I love Jesus, but the idea of church and Christians that I struggle with, like, okay. do I have to go to church to believe? I, I don't really. I just want to do my own thing with me and Jesus. Okay, so I, I I honestly struggle with organized church when it doesn't look like Jesus. I struggle with that. I struggle with you know I don't mean to offend anybody, but when, when you put the American flag and God and the eagles flying and, and all those things, but yet you don't say anything about oppression going on, I got a problem with that. I have a problem when, you know, I tout that I'm Republican, so I'm more, I'm more godly than you. Or I'm Democrat, I'm more sympathetic than you, so I must be closer to God. I got a problem with that. I, I, I <laughs> so, so as far as the, the organized church, when it does not look like Christ, when it does not look like Jesus, then I got a problem with that. And I think that's the essence of where we need to be. This is all, we sang it before, it's all about him. It's, we're here not so we can be happy and get our bank accounts up and, and, and have all the goodness of life. That's not why we're here. We're, we're here to take the gospel to, to all ends of the earth. That means you and I. That's why we're here. I said it in the last time. If it was all good, we'd be, we'd be in Beulah land right now. We'd be, you know, uh, clapping and, and shouting in heaven Tambourine. right now. Tambourine. But he's got a, huh? Tambourine. Tambourine, Tambourine land. Uh, but we're here because each one of us, God, for those of you that have accepted Christ, let me say it that way. He's got you here so that you can be Christ to the world. That's why you're here. So I know that probably didn't ask the question. I went way off, but well, I'll, I'll answer it this way. Imagine that you are a person who is looking for a home and you don't have a per, you don't have a family in a sense that you can look to a mom and a dad. Right. 
So imagine you're, you're looking for a home, you're looking to be adopted. And this family or this husband and this wife chooses to adopt you into their home. And as you come into their home, one of the first stipulations is, wow, it's really inviting here. I really like it. I don't like mommy, though. She's got to go. So my question to you is, how would the husband respond to that? I give you that illustration because the church, in essence, is Jesus' bride. So you can't, in a sense, come into the household of God and ask God to divorce his bride. He's not going to just divorce his bride. That's, he died for his bride. He died for the sake of the church. He died for her, and he will keep her. So to come into that adoption, that family, to say, I like it here, Dad, but she's got to go. Not compatible. And do you enjoy worshiping the Lord? Because if, um, you know, if the issue is the style of worship, then find a church that has the style of worship that, that you enjoy. But if you're born again and you know Jesus, you should enjoy worshiping him. And so, and I don't know if that's even what you meant, whoever sent this in. Um, but, you know, if it's the trappings of church and all that, I guess that's something you can talk about. But if it's, I don't really enjoy worshiping the Lord, then, you know, I would want to talk further and see, do you know him? Have you been born again? I think in this kind of, that question to me kind of is, shows that rugged individualistic nature of, of the questioner of, I can do this on my own, um, which is a, you have a problem at the gate, like Christianity, I mean, Jesus, God, we believe God himself came to this earth and lived, and he didn't do it by himself. Um, and if you say, well, but yeah, but on the cross, he was all by himself. I mean, no, but what we believe, he, had the, he was experiencing the love of the Father at the same time. So if God needs community, I think it's very arrogant and prideful and honestly just and maybe a little bit mature to sit and say, well, I don't need the church. I can just do it on my own. Like, no, like, I don't know how to read the Bible enough. I don't know how to apply this to my marriage, to my finances, to my workplace. So I think maybe trying to keep your sense of rugged individualism, um, maybe you're off a little bit there. And maybe, maybe you'd be willing to think about that and, and see what goes there, okay? And, and I could say... Um, Last question, yeah. No, I'm going a long time. No, no, I could say, uh, you know, as a pastor of the, of the church, um, I, can, I can validate the frustration with organized religion in and of itself because we've seen corruption. Um, or maybe if I want to validate whoever asked that question, like maybe you've experienced some form of corruption or hurt from a Christian leader or a pastor that did something horrible. And so the idea is like once it gets organized, it gets corrupt. And I would say that can happen with anything, first of all. Um, and so choose your church wisely. Get to know the church that you're going into. These are reasons why we have membership class and stuff like that. So that you can get to know us, see if this is a fit for you. But also so you can see how we run things. Um, if you're going to a church where the pastor is the man of God coming down the mountain every week, delivering the stone tablets like Moses, and no one can say anything to him, I would say, I wouldn't go to that church. Because you don't, uh, uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? If you, there's no sense of accountability, yeah, be afraid. And so that's one of the reasons why I think if you're doing church right, the bride of Christ, the way that the scripture teaches, there's a plurality of leaders, there's mutual submission and respect among them, and there's a lot of accountability because we know ultimately we will give an account to Jesus. And if you're around that kind of community, I would encourage you, that's the community you need. Sorry, uh, let, me, let me move this forward here a little bit. Um, apologize. But uh, just for time's sake, we don't have a ton more time here. Um, somebody asked about, uh, in the sense of a small group, a good replacement for Sunday service thing. Uh, come talk. Come talk to us afterwards. That's a good question. Uh, but no and yes. There you go. Uh, <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, they, said, they said, is small group a, can you go to a small group, be involved in a small group study, and that's your church? Or do you have to come to a Sunday morning service? This, I think it's a nuanced answer to that depends, right? If you're a new church start who just meets in small groups and have a Sunday morning service, then yes. I mean, so it's just, it's kind of complicated. But again, I think the, the more important thing is don't be an island because you can't be a Christian and on an island. Um, but then if you're trying to find ways to rationalize your prejudices and hatred against church, then like Scott said, let's have a conversation about what you believe in 
um, in church and stuff. And, and I, I got to speak to yeah, the, I love the, you know, the scripture says that the disciples met in houses and in the temple. So you have both because there's something about getting around people that are like you, that you love, and you're in a small group with that you absolutely need. But there's also something about being around people that you naturally wouldn't want to just hang out with and are brother and sister naturally, especially in a diverse church like this, that you need as well. And to get out of your comfort zone and to grow in a greater measure, not to mention if you are starting and you have a small church, you're like, this is us, we're the small church, that's great. The goal, anything healthy grows so that's going to grow at some point, and you're having to organize. I have three kids. I don't have to be as organized when I had one as I had to do with three, I'll tell you that. Much less when you go from 12 to 24 to 100 to 300. There's a level of organization that you have to have. And for the body to, I think, grow the most, this question would be like, I want to lose weight, so I'm going to run. Can I just run? Well, maybe, but you probably should eat right too, right? Uh, you should probably get rest, Right. And so there's multiple things I think you need. And so don't be careful not to just go to the one thing that you prefer. And as bad as organized religion may be, it's better than disorganized religion, which I think is. <laughs> OK, I love that guy. OK, so uh, maybe our last question. We'll see how, how we do on this. Um, it's, it's a long one, but basically and basically asking um, how do I um, I want to believe, but I have a struggle with the and raise questions with the validity of the Bible. Um, I think you talked about this maybe at one point, Chris. I'm not sure um, with the series uh, if you mentioned this, but just and then, you know I know about the councils. I know about some meetings, but the gospels weren't written at the exact time of Christ. They're written down later. Um, translations now are translations of translations. I, I want to believe, but the six of you up here would say the supreme authority for us is the Bible. All six of us, we believe in the Bible. It is what we set our life on. But how, I don't trust it because I see holes. I see things that look suspect to me. So I want to believe, but the Bible. I can deal with the Old Testament, and then I'll pass it on to Chris, whoever. So um, if you've got a problem with the Old Testament, then you've got a problem with Jesus, because Jesus believed in the Old Testament. He quoted the Old Testament. So that one's easy. <laughs> Anyone else want to go before I, before I go off? Anybody else? Bible. I'll, I'll keep this very short, but I think one of the things that helped me out, and, you know, I, I struggled a lot trying to, you know, there are things I believed, and then I got away, and they got challenged, and I was like, well, is that really real? But when I, oh, sorry, can you, I'm sorry, all right. Um, did anybody hear what I just said? Okay. Uh, I lost my train of thought. Um, knowing that we, we believe, okay, that the, that the Bible is the inspired word of God, but also there are the, the, the differences in the books and, and the different types of literature that are there, but also sources outside of Christian circles have talked about the validity of Scripture. And that, for me, gave it a lot of weight. I mean, using uh, testing methods to, 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 to the reliability, knowing that, okay, the original texts have been faithfully translated. You know, you might have you know, a couple of words here or there in the translation, but by and large, they have been able to be translated and moved up to this present day. So you know that what was written then is what we're looking at now. That, that, that bred a lot of confidence for me. I think there's a lot of information, a lot of research out there that taking some time to actually get in and don't trust in a soundbite. Don't trust in a soundbite. Do your own research. And on that journey, you'll find out it's, it's, it's more real than you ever thought. But also learning, how to, also learning how to read it is also important. I need to know that, okay, oh, this is, this, is, uh, this is history. This is poetry. I need to understand it. I can't read, you know, I can't read something that's, that's all allegorical and think that's only, you know, all that is actually happened. So I think those are some important things to know. That's great, Gene. I have a privilege to go to Israel uh, quite often, uh, and the um, one thing that I would say about validity, um, I don't know which level, what, what level of validity that you are actually saying. If you can be more specific, uh, I should be able to address those issues. But that being said, though, um, there are a lot of those who actually question the Bible. Is the Bible real? Um, my, my quick answer is, man, if the Bible is not true, uh, somebody went really, really extensive measure to make sure all the cities, 
and all the things they mentioned in the Bible that are still there today. Meaning, either archaeologists are crazy for finding all this stuff that's a layer from whether it be time of Jesus or be time of uh, David, whether it be time of Abraham, it doesn't matter. Somebody went extensive to make sure that that sounds true. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But I go there every once in a while, and I, I see the place, and, I, and I'm just amazed how accurate the Bible actually is. And it is hard. Like what Jay said earlier, I think it all boils down to the source. Meaning, where did you get your source from? Because believe me, there are enough Christian doctors that hold a PhD that questions the validity of the scripture. And I would argue, a lot of times I would argue, that where do you get that from? That's the real question that we ask. And there's too many flaws in their argument a lot of times. And it's not, it's not traditional. It is not something that has been debated. A lot of times it's their assumption at best. It's not, it's not been historically proven or it's not something that we've been carried all throughout the history since the formation of the church. So I would check your sources. And if you need a source, we will be glad to actually offer some great sources that are out there that are credible. And it is really good. So, so sorry, we're going to have to in here. Let me, let me say this real fast, and then we're going we're to wrap up. Uh, there are some things. I don't know if it's all things. People debate this in philosophy circles. There are some things that will never be known outside of relational commitments. Let me give you an example. Um, we're going to hire Scott. We're looking to hire Scott possibly as our building and grounds maintenance guy. With his skill set, it makes sense. Um, we're going to hire Scott. For, we're going to hire Scott for that, okay? And so, yeah, <laughs> she is. So, so we're looking at hiring Scott. Is Scott going to be? Is the is Scott going to be a good hire? Is Scott going to be a great hire? Is it going to work out? We'll never know. We'll never know that answer to that question until we make a commitment to it first. Do you understand what I'm saying? I think the Bible is not a not solely, it's not only a rational, empirical, scientifically validated book. I think it is a supernatural book. And it requires commitment to a relationship with the book to investigate that. And I think it's, for me, it's like women. Women are supernatural and mysterious and, and mysterious, I mean, and, and all kinds of things. Uh, and, and fantastic, honestly. And for a guy to say you understand that after one reading through your, no. This is something you have to commit to, and you work, and you work through, and as layers get peeled back, you realize, oh, oh. And I think the Bible, for me, personally, is similar in the same way. So even like we have great sources that can feed your mind and give you some intellectual confidence, but realize you'll never, like I've gone, me and you both have gone through plenty of seminary and school, and I've, we have degrees, and we have all that kind of stuff, and, and honestly, okay, I'll do it. They're, they're great, and, and they're good things, but look, I came out of that with more questions and more doubts than answers I had. I still have a lot of doubts and things I read about the Bible that I struggle with. I'm just honest. I, I don't like that. My modern sensibility doesn't enjoy that part of the Bible. Um, but who is the source of right and wrong? And if it's just me and my brain, I think that's maybe a little weak and not, and not as durable as something maybe that, that I believe is supernatural and eternal. So to say for the Bible thing, um, super fast, Eric, go. Okay, so uh, last thing I'll say is this. If I've considered that question before in terms of, so if I was to write the Bible, Eric Stevens, if Eric Stevens is to write the Bible, there are certain things in certain ways that I would go about writing the Bible that is completely different from the way the Bible is written. For instance, if I am to bring the Savior of the world into existence, I am probably not going to choose a 13 or 14 year old girl who's betrothed to be married to a person. I'm going to choose a cleaner route. Does that make sense? And if, if I sit down with a couple of guys and say, hey, let's write scripture, make sure we all write the same thing. And there's a diversity of thoughts and opinions, and you could see that in the way they word it and in the way they describe the scenes and events that are taking place. If Eric Stevens is going to write the Bible, I'm going to make sure it's verbatim. We're all writing the exact same thing, so there's absolutely no question on the clarity of the message you're trying to put together. But there's such a diversity of, of, of input from the characters who even wrote scripture that to me, I'm like, it's just like Randy, it's a supernatural book because it is not, I am going to say Eric Stevens is awesome when I write the Bible. I am not going to say that Eric Stevens doubted the Messiah after spending three years with him. And as a result, the rest of the disciples also scattered about, I'm not going to write that in the Bible. 
unless it happened. Un right. Unless it the point happened. is, unless right. it actually happened. Thank you. We'll, we'll say, and we'll say this as, as we wrap up. First, first of all, there is, I know all these gentlemen up here, myself included, I love curious minds that ask questions. I love it. I think you'll never get answers if you don't ask questions. And so I pray that you never feel in this church or with these men up here leading um, or any of our leaders in our church that you can't ask questions. You can't, or if you're a leader in here that you can't have doubts about certain things that we seem to come off with some confidence because truth be told, we have a lot of doubts too and things. So I want to applaud you. You guys are blowing me up. I'm so sorry. I didn't get to so many of your great questions. Your predestination people come talk to me afterwards. We'll have fun. Um, but thank you guys so much for participating. And I also want to encourage you. Um, and then in the fall, I'm working on the details now, but in the fall, we'll be um, starting something called um, TGA, the gospel and, and looking at some of these topics with science and sexuality and religion and different things and having groups and all kinds of fun stuff. So um, that'll be a great platform to continue this dialogue because we don't want to just have it one Sunday, just check off our open-minded box and then move on. Um, no, we want to do this. And even afterwards when we're done, um, we'll be up here kind of hanging out in the front for a little bit. If you have more questions that you, you didn't get answered, you want somebody to talk to you about it, come talk to us um, and I'll try to respond to you on there. But thank you so much for participating and engaging your, your mind and your, and your thing. We love it. And uh, we're all trying to create a learning community here together that can learn and grow and become better human beings. Um, and then also for us followers of Jesus, which to us, those two things go inside together. So Chris, why don't you land the plane for us? Yeah, we're going to close in prayer. Um, we do, we're starting next week a new series um, called No Perfect People Allowed, where we're going to go through the study of 1 Corinthians, a book that was written around 54 AD. So um, it's going to be amazing uh, going through it together. So get ready for that. We'll be doing that for the rest of the summer. So as long as you're here, I know some people will be traveling and moving around. Um, dive in 1 Corinthians with us, and we're looking forward to it. So let me close in prayer, and we'll end. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to worship you, Lord, ultimately, we pray for your grace, God, to be laced in all of the things that we say, that we, the questions that we have, Lord, and the problems and concern, concerns that we've uh, uh, put forth here, Lord. We ask, God, that you will reveal yourself ultimately, God, as the truth, as the way, as the life, Lord Jesus. And thank you so much for your cross and your resurrection, God. It is our life. It is the center of who we are, Lord. Help us to continue to be about your business more than anything else, Lord. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.